0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today, we're going to be talking about Formula One's inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Now, if I had to pick just one word to describe the buildup to this year's race, it would be disastrous. I'll give you a few examples. Thousands of locals and tourists have been complaining about intensive road work, road closures, traffic, and long commutes for the last several months now. Some of these people, it's taking them an hour and a half or two hours to get to work every morning when it used to take them just 20 to 30 minutes on their commute. Now, hotel prices on the Las Vegas Strip have also roughly dropped about 80% since the race was announced last year. And race tickets are also down more than 40% from a price perspective, as over 10,000 tickets remain unsold just days before the race. Furthermore, construction workers have been working 90-hour weeks leading up to the event to make sure that everything gets done in time. This will also be one of the coldest Formula One races on record, as Formula One officials have publicly said, they've publicly said that they didn't even think about the temperature when planning the race. And U.S. viewership isn't going to break any records either, as qualifying in the race start at 3 a.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern time, respectively. That means roughly 50% of the country will be asleep during the race. Add in the fact that the 3.8-mile, 17-turn racetrack doesn't offer drivers a real challenge. I mean, drivers like George Russell and Max Verstappen have publicly come out and said that the track is going to be boring. It's not going to be competitive racing. And many people are already claiming that this race will not be back in Las Vegas next year. But I don't think that's true. And it all comes down to one thing, money. Now, I'll explain. When Liberty Media, who also owns Major League Baseball's Atlanta Braves and a couple other sports assets, acquired Formula One for $4.4 billion in 2016. They saw a unique opportunity to grow the sport internationally. Take the NFL, for instance. This is the best example I can give. The NFL has significantly less viewers and is less popular than the English Premier League, the EPL. But they still bring in about $20 billion in annual revenue, which is more than the world's top five soccer leagues, the Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, and League One, combined right? So the NFL has less fans, is less popular from a viewership perspective and a total fan basis than the English Premier League alone. Just one to one, the NFL is less popular. But the NFL brings in more annual revenue than all of the top five soccer leagues in the world, Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, and League One combined, right? That's how well they monetize the NFL product. And this is simply because the United States is the world's most lucrative economy. It's much bigger than any economy on a country by country basis in Europe. And they monetize sports assets better than anyone else. This context is important because Formula One had historically struggled with U.S. expansion. They literally gave ESPN the U.S. TV rights for free a few years ago. But it also represented an immense opportunity for Liberty Media to increase enterprise value for the company. And that's exactly what they have done over the last several years. Liberty Media did a bunch of different things. They loosened social media rules. One of the things that I think is fascinating about this is that the drivers and the teams could not use official race footage before. Bernie Ecclestone, who was running Formula One at the time, thought that it would upset their broadcast partners if the drivers and the teams were tweeting out or posting official race footage on Instagram. So he literally didn't allow it. Lewis Hamilton famously got in trouble for posting a Snapchat once in the paddock. That's literally how archaic the rules were. So when Liberty Media came in, one of the first things they did was they loosened social media restrictions. They wanted the teams. They asked them to start posting more on social media, and that helped a lot. Another thing that they did was they launched an over-the-top streaming service. I use it. Many of you probably use it today. It's called F1 TV. It, I think, is probably the best streaming service in sports today. It provides fans with a one-stop shop for all Formula One-related content, and it's cheap. I don't know the official price, but I think I pay like 3 to $4 per race, essentially, when you break it down on a per-race basis. So it's relatively cheap for what you get. You get all the official race footage. You get the interviews. You get the pre and the post-race stuff. You get all the camera angles from the different drivers and everything. I think it is by far the best streaming service in sports. That's called F1 TV. They launched that. They also turn race weekends into music festival-style events. There's concert, there's food, and there's more. I've been to a few different races now in Monza, in Italy. I went to Miami twice and a couple other ones too. And these races have turned into full-fledged events. I mean, it's no longer just about the race. The race is really just a part of it. But everyone is there to experience the total event. And it's why they've been able to get hundreds of thousands of people there on even qualifying days, right? On practice days, specifically in the United States. If you look at the USGP last year, I mean, I think there was 440,000 people at the race alone. Right. So these are massive events. They've turned into, like I said, music style events, music festival style events where there's music performances. There's a bunch of food trucks in Miami specifically and a bunch of other things, too. They're real events now rather than just the race. And most importantly, Formula One launched F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix. I don't want to spend too much time on this. You guys all know what it is, but it's a series now that every sports league globally is trying to copy. And the results of these moves from Liberty Media and Formula One cannot be understated. Formula One, for instance, now reaches over 1 billion spectators annually. 1 billion spectators. That's an insane amount of spectators each year. And 77% of these fans are under the age of 35. Formula One is also now the fastest growing major sports property across Facebook, across Twitter, across Instagram, across YouTube, across TikTok, across Snapchat, across Twitch, and other Chinese social media platforms. And they have more than 40 million followers on their official accounts. That's not counting all the subaccounts. That's not counting all the individual teams, the drivers, the content creators, everyone else. Just $40 on the official Formula One accounts across all of those platforms that I just mentioned. They're growing tremendously fast on social media, and that's a huge point. But the craziest stat is this. The average age of a Formula One fan has dropped from 36 years old in 2017 to 32 years old today. So the average fan in Formula One has gotten four years younger since 2017 when Liberty Media acquired the business. The reason that's important is because virtually every other sport is going in the opposite direction. So the average Formula One fan is 32 years old. That's better than Major League Baseball, where the average fan is 57 years old. That's better than the NFL, where the average fan is 50 years old. That's better than the NHL, where the average fan is 49 years old. And it's even better than the NBA, who everyone considers the best league on social media, where their average fan is 42 years old. So Formula One is much, much, much younger than all of those other leagues, right? The NBA is the best out of the major sports leagues in the United States, and their average fan is 42 years old. The average Formula One fan is 10 years younger at 32 years old. So what does this prove? It proves that Liberty Media's digital-first approach is working. And most importantly, this has had an outsized impact on Formula One's presence in the United States. If we look at Formula One in the United States today, a decade ago, they didn't have any races in the United States. Obviously, Austin was put on the calendar shortly after that, and over the last decade, they've run in Austin the U.S. Grand Prix. But now the Formula One has three races in the United States. They have Miami, they have Austin, the USGP, and now they have Las Vegas for the first time ever this year. That's more races than any other country on the calendar, on the Formula One calendar. And these races continue to set records. I just told you guys, 440,000 people showed up to the US Grand Prix in Austin, Texas last year. Not only was that a record for the US, but it was the most fans attending a three-day race weekend in Formula One history right? So think about where they've come in the United States. The United States, they literally didn't have a race a decade ago. They had to give the rights away on a TV perspective to ESPN for free. And now they're setting records with 440,000 people attending a three-day event in Austin, Texas last year, the most popular Formula One race of all time from an in-person viewership perspective. But the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix offers Liberty Media a unique opportunity that those other races don't necessarily offer. Quite frankly, no other race offers. You see, Formula One is traditionally an asset-like business. That's typically how I describe it. And the easiest way to think about this is that they don't own the teams, they don't own the cars, and they don't even own the racetracks. Instead, countries around the world pay Formula One between $20 million to $55 million annually to host races. We're talking about Silverstone, Monaco, Saudi Arabia, all the other tracks all around the world. They're paying Formula One for them to bring the show to town. They pay them $20 million to $55 million, depending on the race. These countries then serve as the race promoter. That means they're in charge of everything else. They sell the tickets. They go out, they sell the sponsorships. They put together the hospitality packages. They schedule the concerts. They do everything else. All Formula One does is they bring the show to town. It's essentially, think about it as like a huge licensing deal to some degree. Now, this has historically been a great business model for Formula One. Think about it this way. You're able to limit your downside by simply collecting $50 million plus hosting fees from tracks all around the world. And then you go out and you sign these lucrative broadcasting agreements. They have sponsorship agreements that are done at the Formula One level as well. And they're able to make a bunch of money from other ways rather than putting on the events themselves. So they limit their downside. They don't have to deal with any of the headache from a per event basis. And they go out, they sign these hosting fees, they sign these sponsorship deals, and they sign these broadcasting agreements, and they make billions of dollars each year. Sounds great, right? Well, it's been super lucrative over the years, and it's one of the reasons why Formula One is so valuable today. But it also limits Formula One's financial upside. This is why for the first time ever this year with this race in Las Vegas, Liberty Media and Formula One decided to serve as their own promoters for the race in Las Vegas. And it's also why the Las Vegas Grand Prix won't be leaving the calendar anytime soon, regardless of what people want to say, because Formula One won't let it leave the calendar. Think about it this way. Liberty Media has already invested over $500 million of its own money on this race. $500 million. That includes buying a 39-acre piece of land that was essentially just a parking lot for $240 million last year. They then went out and spent probably another a couple hundred million dollars building a permanent four-story, 300,000-square-foot paddock building. I mean, this thing is world-class, state-of-the-art, and it's permanent, right? This is not something that's going to be moved or taken down or anything like that. This is permanent. It's built. And they spent hundreds of millions of dollars doing it. Furthermore, even with 10,000 tickets still unsold, Liberty Media and Formula One are going to make a killing on this event. And I'll explain. The cheapest ticket on race day, which to get in is over $1,000 right now on every ticketing platform, is still more expensive than any of the other 20 plus races on the Formula One calendar, right? So even though the headline is 10,000 tickets unsold, to get into the event, it's still more expensive, drastically more expensive than every other race on the calendar. And several people have told me that Miami's ownership group, think about the Miami Grand Prix and how that's been put on over the last couple of years. Several people have told me that Miami's ownership group makes more money off ticket sales for the Miami Grand Prix, which is a three-day event, than they do all of NFL season, right? So if you think about the NFL, there's typically eight to nine home games per year, depending on the year for that NFL team. The Miami ownership group makes more money off ticket sales for the Formula One race, which is a three-day event, than they do all of NFL season. This race literally did not exist three years ago, right? So the idea that Formula One would spend over $500 million on this race this year And then remove it after one year because people are upset about traffic or ticket prices or the racing itself is nonsense. It's not going to happen. This race is going to be here for the long haul. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg from a financial perspective. There's also going to be events, parties, and concerts all week long. Netflix is in town hosting its first ever live sports event at the Wynn Golf Club with four Former the One drivers and four PGA tour professionals. And the most popular hotels on the strip, I saw a report earlier this week from the Bellagio, I think it was have 95% plus occupancy rates. I mean, that's Super Bowl level occupancy rates. The town is going to be absolutely crowded. 95% plus occupancy rates means that these hotels are going to be making millions of dollars in revenue during this week. Also, speaking of the Super Bowl, one of the other things to keep in mind is that cities typically spend billions of dollars in taxpayer money to build new NFL stadiums based on the hope that they will eventually get awarded a Super Bowl. I mean, Las Vegas literally did this. The Raiders moved from California over to Las Vegas. They built this new stadium. They, I think they spent over a billion dollars in taxpayer money to do it. And voila, they got a Super Bowl this year. In 2024, in February of this upcoming season, they're going to be hosting the Super Bowl. That's huge. That's great. But to give you some context on why the Las Vegas race isn't going anywhere for Formula One, it's because the sheer size and scale this is bigger than the Super Bowl. Formula One says that they're going to be bringing $1.7 billion in economic impact to the city of Las Vegas during this week alone. That's roughly two to three times more than what the city is expecting for this year's Super Bowl. From a pure economic impact standpoint, whether you want to believe these numbers or not, sure, take it with a grain of salt. But on average, most people are reporting that this event should generate two to three times more of an economic impact than the Super Bowl. Literally, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is bigger than the Super Bowl from a pure financial perspective to the city. That economic impact is also why Clark County Commission, aka Las Vegas, has already agreed to extend Formula One's use of the Las Vegas Strip through 2032. Literally, the race has not even started And months ago, the Clark County Commission agreed with Formula One that they would extend their permit to use the Las Vegas Strip for an annual race through 2032. So basically the next decade, they're not going anywhere. It's already been approved. The permanent structure has been built. They've invested $500 million into this. The traffic, the road closures, everything will get better after year one. And this race is not going anywhere because it's going to make so much money for the city of Las Vegas, for Formula One, all of the teams, everyone else involved. This is a multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar event. And don't expect Formula One to be leaving Las Vegas anytime soon. Their new 300,000 square foot paddock building will serve as the company's home base in the United States. It will be open to tourists throughout the remaining months of the year. And for all its faults leading up to the event, the Las Vegas Grand Prix should look absolutely amazing on TV. I'm headed out there later this week, so I'll be updating you guys as I get information on the ground level, telling you what's working, what's not working, what could be improved for year two, and so on. That's it for today, though. One quick reminder before we go is that I recently launched a sports business community on Microsoft Teams. The link to join the group is in the description for this podcast. Make sure you go check it out. Hundreds of people have joined. We're talking about the most current events in sports business every single day, sharing opinions and just having fun along the way. So go check that out. Otherwise, I hope everyone has a great week and we'll talk on Friday.